Well, welcome. Good to see you this evening. Looks like we're going to fit okay. So I don't have a uh, sound um, system, and so just a little um, housekeeping. My wife's going to help me, but you all can help me. Um, I like can't hear, okay, so I got hearing aids on. So there's a huge problem with hearing aids. I think I'm almost screaming right now, but I don't, I don't really know how loud I'm speaking. If I don't have them up, when you ask questions, I can't hear you. And so especially there in the back, if I'm not talking loud enough, just you know, give me the thumbs up or wave at me or something. I want everybody to, to be able to hear uh, well uh, throughout the uh, time here. Well, this is a, uh, a basic um, spiritual disciplines uh, discipleship course. Uh, there really isn't, I, I'm doubtful that I will share with you anything in these five weeks that is going to like enlighten you. That, that's not really the purpose. The purpose is more motivational and accountability um, with the others that are gathered here and, and, and with yourself that, than it is that you're going to have some aha uh, moment and learn something uh, no knew from the scripture because I'm sure if I sat down with each of you individually and said to you um, tell me a half a dozen spiritual disciplines that it would really be good for every believer to embrace and work out every one of you would would give me the Sunday school answers wouldn't you and we all know read your Bible go to church pray right worship Give all of the spiritual disciplines. You you already know what they are. Knowing them is not the problem. Doing them is, and so uh, this is a class designed to help you to do, and and also the practical part. So, it, if you are going to try to do it, taking my life, opening up and saying, so here's what I do. This isn't prescriptive. This is practical. It's what I do, but it might give you some ideas, and I will gain, will gain from from some of you uh, as we go along. So, um, that's the intent. Have you ever heard of the book? It's a little book, made a New York Times bestseller list almost instantaneously. Um, I had to clean out and dejunk my office. Pastors end up with books after books after books. They hate it, but after a while they have to throw away the books and buy new ones. And I threw this one away and I could kick myself. It was a little book called Make Your Bed. You familiar with that? Make Your Bed. It was written by um, one of the retired generals in the United States military. And I, I don't remember how many million copies it sold almost overnight. Now, one of the reasons it sold so quickly, I'm sure, is because it was an easy read, you know. It was about this big and probably had about 70 pages. But he he kept hitting home this one truth. Every single branch of the military, one of the very first things they mandate and teach you in the military, how many people here have been in the military? All right, well, we got two of us. Um, I guess that shows my age. Well, not you, not, not your age, my age. But as they teach you how to make your bed, and I mean in the military, you have to make it just right. Flip the old quarter on it. When it hits the sheet, it better bounce up. And uh, tuck the corners. And when Reveille is played, or when you have to get up, the first thing you have to do is what? Make your bed. And there's the discipline of making your bed. And, and 
they've learned in the military how that carries over into every single area of life. Obviously, all of the basic trainings, one of the things they're trying to teach you is basic disciplines that will be necessary to survive in a time of war. Do you know we're in war? We just sang. We just sang about a mighty fortress is our God and about the devils that we face every day that we don't see. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers and darkness. And, and we are in a war for our souls and for the souls of men and women. And in the same way, the military needs spiritual disciplines. We need spiritual disciplines. The same way there's a need for a basic training in the military, there's a, a need in the local church for basic training, the basic essentials going over and over again, learning how to clean your gun, learning how to make your bed, learning how to run a mile, all of those basic disciplines. So that's really what this course is designed to be. Three books that I'd recommend to you. Um, this course laid out properly is a 13-week course. I got five weeks. So um, if you've ever taught, you can imagine how I'm feeling. So we aren't even going to pretend we're going to get through 13. I'm, I'm going to take um, five of what I think are the most important, and, and that's what we're going to drill down on because I think if you have those, all the rest will flow out. So that's what I'm going to do. But you could buy this book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. It's on your handout. I've, I've got that written down there at the bottom of the first page. Uh, I highly recommend it, Don Whitney. If you really want to go further and you'd like to do um, a Bible study, there's a companion um, Bible study book that goes with it. It's just excellent, and it would be a uh, help for you. Um, so that would be one resource. The second one is The Disciplines of a Godly Man by Kent Hughes. Again, another excellent book, particularly for uh, young men, but would be a blessing and a value to any to any believer in principle. And then uh, The Disciplines of Grace by Jerry Bridges. And so there are three books that would be excellent to help you um, discipline your life. This course itself will be mainly built around this book and the Bible, of course, and my own personal experiences so I get rolling but I don't really want it to be um, a formal evening you can stop me at any place you can ask me questions raise your hand uh, it, it, it's okay um, so this isn't meant to be a preaching service and so we can back and forth I want to hear your questions I want to hear your insights so I, I know that's a little bit awkward the first night, but we'll we'll get into that, and you have that opportunity, and I and I welcome you to do that. So please, please do. Look at your handout. I got there Second Peter three eighteen, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we want that um, desperately. If you're in Christ, you want you want to grow. Um, in the knowledge of him. And so we're going to see here in a few minutes that part of that motivation is we want to become like Christ. Um, we want to grow in Christ's uh, likeness. Got some quotes there. Uh, what I'm trying to do here initially is just to convince you, uh, perhaps what you don't need convincing in, but just is the desperate need we have um, to continually 
work at disciplining our lives. In the end, all that matters is do we live for the glory of God. Every single day, it seems like you can pick up the paper and see somebody of notoriety that named the name of Christ that was swept away in the filth of this world. And on the one hand, it should make you mad. On the one hand, you ought to be disgusted by it. You ought to be horrified by the things we read and the things we see. But I want to tell you, at least for me, after I get through being disgusted and horrified, I'm scared to death. Because when I see the people that have been swept down the drain and trotted under the gospel, have defamed the name of Christ, I realize if it could happen to them, it can happen to me. And I'm sitting here to tell you, it can happen to you. It's not above anybody. That's why you need a local church. That's why we need plugged in. That's why we need spiritual disciplines. It's not a joke. We are in a war. And every single one of you have an enemy. And so um, we want to live for the glory of God. The, the only road to Christian maturity passes through the practices of spiritual discipline. Now, we all know that, that we can't make ourselves right with God. We understand that. We're believers. We, we understand that, that God has to draw us. God has to save us. Then he empowers us through his spirit. We walk by faith. But what he puts in, we're responsible to work out. And, the, and that working out is, is a discipline. It's a discipline that, that we work at. Dr. John MacArthur said, Why is discipline important? Discipline teaches us to operate by principle rather than desire. Saying no to our impulses, even the ones that are not inherently sinful, put us in control of our appetites rather than vice versa. It deposes, disposes our lust and permits truth, virtue, and integrity to rule our minds instead. What do you think he means by that in a, in a practical standpoint? Talk to me for a minute. Especially where he says, saying no to our impulses, even ones that aren't inherently simple, sinful. What do you think he means by that? How would you interpret that? What's he saying? Okay, feelings, desires, same thing. Good. Anybody else? He wants, to be, he wants us to have control of our thoughts. Okay. Our flesh is against us, isn't it? We, I, I mean, I wake up in the morning when I look in the mirror. I, I just met the number one enemy, didn't I? Um, how many of you love to get up really early in the morning? A few of you, probably, but do most of you? Do you like to get up really early in the morning? You just love that when the alarm goes off at at 5 o'clock. I'll get good news for you. How many people don't like to get up really early in the morning here? Okay, most of you. i got really, really good news to you. Someday, if the Lord gives you the number of years he's given me, you won't need an alarm anymore. You just get up whether you want to or not. <laughs> and, you, I mean, it's terrible. You'll get up on vacation. You'll get up on holidays, days off. You just, you, you're just going to. Um, but for right now... That's a discipline, isn't it? It's a discipline to get up in time. And, and look what the world's done for you. I just want you to see, has the world helped us to get up on time? You can't buy an alarm clock 
whether that's an old-fashioned alarm clock or whether that's your phone that doesn't have a what button on it. Snooze. Snooze is so you don't have to be disciplined. It even tells you on your, on your smartphone, right, how often you can hit the snooze, you know? I mean, it's amazing to me. I only want to set this thing so I can only snooze five times. I mean, what are you building into yourself? Alarm, nope. Alarm, nope. Alarm, nope. What are you, what are you counting them? Alarm, nope. I mean, but that's the way we are because that's the way our flesh is. And what Dr. MacArthur is saying is that every single time we put some kind of discipline into our life, it helps every other area of discipline because we're so flesh-driven. And you know the opposite is true? Every single time we yield to some kind of just desire, then, then we set ourselves up in other places to, to yield. So he's actually saying here, and in this course we're going to look at spiritual disciplines, but he's saying there's a value to learn to just to say no to yourself when you don't have to. It would be good if I would learn to say no to myself more often for that next piece of pie, perhaps. Um, but there's, there's a hundred different ways like that where we're building discipline, or maybe we don't realize it, but we're knocking down the discipline in, in, our, in our life. And so that's why it's so important. Tozer said, we pursue God because and only because he has first put an urge within us that spurs us to that pursuit. The impulse to pursue God originates with God, but the outworking of that impulse is our following hard after him. So then the purpose of this class is to help us follow hard after God for the purpose of godliness or the purpose of Christ-likeness, or maybe I could say it this way, the purpose of holiness. God is holy. And so we want to grow in that, in that holiness. We know we can't do that apart from his word. And so all the disciplines that, that connect itself with the, with the word are enormously important. So what are we going to try to look at in the time that we have here? If we, if we breeze through these, then we might get to more. If, if we take longer because it seems like it's just where the need of the class is, then we'll slow down. It doesn't really matter to me how many we get through. When five weeks is up, we got through it. We did, and you can always buy the book. Okay, so, uh, but we're going to look at and start with um, Bible intake. That's the way he, he talks about it. And, and, of course, there's many facets of Bible intake. And I'm choosing then to stick in here next. Most people would think that the very next thing would be prayer, and I wouldn't argue with that. I'm not saying that there's a particular right order that these go in. But we take the Bible in for a particular purpose, and one of the purposes is that we might have faith that we might grow in faith, that we might think right, we might think biblically. And so we're going to just transition at least a little bit um, quickly. We probably won't go into deep, but we're going to take a week and we're going to look at the discipline of biblical thinking. It takes a disciplined mind to think right. And we have to guard our hearts. We have to guard our, our, our minds. Proverbs is a book. Warning young men, guard your heart. Guard your mind. It takes a discipline to do that. And so um, we're, we're going to look at that. And then from there, we're going to look at the discipline of praying. And see, each of these I put down there is unto an end. And then uh, all of that, how it flows out to uh, journaling, which I believe is a very, very important discipline. Because one of the reasons that we do all of this is that we might grow in the grace and the knowledge and the truth of Christ. And then we might take his word to the world. 
we're, we're doing it that we might be a light, we might be a beacon to the world. And journaling will, will help you will help you do that. So what are some other other disciplines in his book? I listed a bunch of them that he has there, and there's chapters on each of those that I know we probably won't even get close to. Evangelism, hospitality, giving, uh, serving, learning, silence, solitude, worship, fasting. And so um, those will be uh, different ones. Somebody told me in one class that somebody should write a book, and I'm, I said I actually think many people have on the, um, the discipline. I don't know that it would be a spiritual discipline, but I guess you could, you might be able to say it is, of decluttering or simplicity. That as Americans we we uh, we clutter, uh, we're hoarders. Um, but anyhow, so what's the purpose of all true spiritual discipline? Again, I'm just reminding you the purpose so that our motivations are right. I'm giving you two verses there. I could give you many more. Romans. 829, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. We put spiritual disciplines in our life to help us to be conformed to the image of Christ. 1 John 3, 2, beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I'm perfectly aware that in these verses we're talking about glorification and God's going to ultimately glorify us. Now that should be a very comforting thought. But the goal of the Christian life should be, and I don't know that anybody's ever drawn a graph on it and I'm I'm trying to keep myself from making a jerk of myself and draw a graph, but I'm going to inhale. So, here's... I already made a mistake. Here's salvation. Okay? So I get saved, and as soon as I start getting saved, what begins to happen in my life? Growth. Yes. Let's use let's use one of the words the Bible uses. It's an S word. Sanctification. Sanctification. Okay? So here I'm saved and I'm justified, and then as I progress, well, I would have no chance of getting sanctified right now. S-A-N- C-I-T-I-F-I-E-D and if you're not sure you sort of do that, okay? <laughs> Sanctified. <laughs> right? And, and so I, I'm doing that and then someplace this happens, right? He comes and gets us or we go to see him. And when that happens, I'm glorified. So in my mind, here's what I think the deal is. Okay? I get saved, and I live, I'm going to be at my next birthday, 72. I live 72 years, and here, let's see, I'm going to live to be 104. So, that was a joke. <laughs> Out here at 104, I'm going to get glorified. But if all I've done is this in my sanctification... I'm saved by grace, but I've got a beam seat chat to have. I'm going to have a little chat with Jesus at the beam seat. You're familiar with that, right? I, I, I'm, going to give, I'm going to give an account for the opportunities uh, that I've had in the body, for the graces that I've had, the, the privilege I've had to serve him. 
It's a scary thing because as an elder, I'm going to get a double account. I'm not fully sure I understand what the double account is. I just know as a believer, I'm not even sure that I look forward to the account because that can be a fearful, trembling thing. How many people are there in the world right now? Seven billion, seven and a half billion, something like that. Is that right? Is that about right? How many of those seven and a half billion people do you think would give anything to be in a church like this and to have what we have spiritually at our fingertips? How many Bibles do you have resources to? How, how, how many pastors and teachers and Christian universities and, 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 and the list is endless that we have available to ourselves? Uh, well, we're going to even account to that. To whom much has been given, the scripture tells us much is what? Required. Now, we usually think of that stewardship when it comes to resources, and we th- usually think about as, as in terms of money. But do you realize that your opportunity for your sanctification is also a resource, it's a stewardship? You have this opportunity to be disciple, to grow in Christ. And when, and when you get glorified... But this is how I think about it. I don't want to have God have to do this much. I think if I if I really press hard, you know, maybe I can make it here, and maybe I can just do this much for glorification. I, I know that's a that's a stupid drawing, but my my point is, I want to I want to see Him. I'll be saved by grace. I'll fall on my f- face and I'll worship Him. And, and, and yet, this, I want there to be a sense that he died for me. Can I not die daily for him? Can I not give him my all? That I've given him my all. And I'll fall way short of that every day, but, but I want to pursue that. I want to pursue that. I want to get as close as I can because of all he's done for me. And that should be the motivational drive of every believer. And so that's the reason we put spiritual disciplines into our life. Does that make sense? Any thoughts, any comments on that? Ignore the silly illustration. But I hope that the passion grabs you. God wants us to be like Christ. And Acts says they were called the way. And then finally it said Christians. Interesting, they were first called the way. And then Christians, when people look at us, they ought to think to themselves, that's the way. The way to what? The way to Christ. The way to heaven. And we're Christians. We name his name. We ought ought to act like him. We ought to be like him. That isn't going to happen apart from the graces of disciplining ourselves to be like him. So what are spiritual disciplines as it relates to this course? I wanted to give you some definitions to make sure that we understand what we're talking about. Spiritual disciplines are those practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are habits of devotion and experiential Christianity that have been practiced by the people of God since biblical times. Spiritual disciplines are primarily activities you know, they're practices. They're not character qualities or, or spiritual gifts or the fruit of the Spirit. They're, 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 they're disciplines that you put in your life that, that help these other things blossom. 
Spiritual disciplines are a means that God uses in our sanctification. They're primarily... The primary attribute of God is, of course, holiness. And we're commanded to pursue holiness. Can somebody read for me Isaiah 6, 1 through 3? Who would do that? Somebody volunteer to read Isaiah 6, 1 through 3 for us? i got one volunteer here. Now, somebody else look up 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. Somebody read that for me? Okay, Peter. Um, Isaiah 6, 1 through 3. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's one of our favorite songs or hymns to sing, isn't it? Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, heaven and earth is full of his glory. Yes, God is love. Jeff brought that wonderful truth to us uh, today. But that love flows out of his holiness. Yes, everything that God does is love. But he's thrice holy. He's intrinsically holy. He is set apart from us, and he is so different from us that if in love he wouldn't have sent his son, there would be no way we could even approach him. We would be consumed instantaneously in his holiness. And it's that holiness that we're going to um, pursue with our spiritual disciplines. We want to be we want to be like him. We, we know we'll never be him, and we know we'll all fall short of that, but that's, that's the pursuit. That's the goal. And so uh, the the... The biblical call over and over again is to these spiritual disciplines. I just gave you a few here. Paul certainly indicates that he was a man full of spiritual disciplines. I I just put three there. And you might want to argue with me on the last one whether that was Paul. That'd be fine. A believer who wrote it anyhow. So he says in 1 Corinthians 5, I'm sorry, Peter, you were going to read. I didn't get you to read the the follow-up verse. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So here we have Isaiah declaring that God is holy, and here we have Peter commanding us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to be holy. And and, and so we see those those two uh, coming uh, together. I'm sorry I forgot you, uh, Peter, that you asked me to read that. So we see Paul here with the idea of discipline. In 1 Corinthians 15.31, Paul said that he died daily. Now we know that doesn't mean that he killed himself daily. Uh, we know that, that, that what that means is that he had to die to himself. He had to die to the passions uh, of his flesh and to be controlled by the spirit as as you said Lisa not not to necessarily do what he felt like but to do what the scripture commands us to do so it's, it's learning not to operate by our feelings that's why the thinking aspect is so important listen to me I'll repeat that when we get there but feelings are real they're very real we can't tell somebody 
well, you didn't really feel that way. No, people really do feel that way. Feelings are very real, but it was never design of a believer that we operate or conduct our life by our feelings. We operate and conduct our life by the objective truth of the Word of God, regardless of how we feel. Now, it's always helpful to feel good about doing right. But in the Scripture, we walk by faith. We do right, and then eventually we might feel good. But we don't wait until we feel like doing good to do good. We do good because God has commanded us to, and because He's holy, and because His Spirit urges us onto that truth. So, Paul said he had to die daily. Uh, we know in in First um, Thessalonians five seventeen. We'll talk more about that. That he that he prayed daily. In fact, he said he prays without ceasing. So we know it was a discipline. It wasn't something that he always did. And if in Hebrews, um, it tells believers that we are to exhort one another daily. And then Christ told his disciples. In Luke 9.23, if any man come after me, let him deny himself. There we go again. That's the putting down of the flesh or that feeling. And take up your cross and take up your cross daily and follow me. It's an everyday, it's an everyday thing. Judy and I pray together. Um, so many of you, I see your faces and it's like, I've seen you before, but some of you I haven't. I'm Larry. Hi. Judy, she's going to shoot me for this. Stand up, dear. My love, please just stand up. <laughs> this, is, this is my bride, okay, of uh, 52 uh, plus years. And Judy and I pray together every morning. I'm sure there's been some morning, some place, somewhere where we didn't, but it, it is our habit, it is our custom, and one of the things that we often pray uh, together is, Lord, we want to live for you who died for us. Help us today, give us that grace, because, Lord, what we would love to be able to do is pillow our head tonight without regret. Would you help us to do that? We We know... Apart from your grace, we would never do that. But, but we pray and we ask God to help us to walk by faith and to live in that truth so that we can live without regret. And I believe the Spirit honors those prayers when, when, when we pray those. But it's, it's the sense of dying every day. Um, the Lord's Prayer. The model prayer. Powerful prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. We just got through reading about that. He's holy. He's the holy God. We better reverence him in everything we do. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Think about that for a moment, just even on the surface. Judy and I often pray that together. What's what's happening in the kingdom of heaven, in heaven right now? Is God's will being done? Is God's will being done in heaven? How is it being done in heaven? How well is it being done in heaven? What do you think? Nobody knows? Or you just don't want to say because it's such a silly question. His will is being done perfect in heaven, isn't it? I mean, don't you love the no mores of Revelation 21? No more sin. No more sorrow. His will is being done perfect in heaven. And that kingdom's we're part of. 
if you're in Christ. You're part of that kingdom. But that kingdom hasn't come to this earth yet. But one day, I will do His will perfectly like it's being done in heaven. And so one of the ways we pray is, Lord, today, help me to do Your will like it's being done in heaven right now perfectly and like I will do it perfectly one day. Help me to do it that way today. Lord, grant me that grace to do Your will perfectly today because Your kingdom should reign in my heart. I want it to reign in my heart. And if it reigns in my heart, I will do it today. So help me, dear God, I pray. And when you pray like that, God honors those prayers. And so, does that make sense? Okay, so all that was introduction. <laughs> Turn to me, if you would, to First Timothy chapter 4. I picked this passage because there are several, but I think it's probably the absolute clearest uh, when it comes to the idea of spiritual disciplines and and its necessity. And here Paul is speaking to this young uh, disciple, Timothy. Look at yourselves all as a young disciple in that standpoint. I think we would all agree that if Paul were talking to us, we would all consider ourselves immature compared to Paul. And so we we would listen. We would listen and say... Teach me, Paul. And Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is, is telling Timothy this. And, and he's saying here in chapter 4, uh, it's not inspired, but at least in my Bible, perhaps in yours, it says, a good servant of Jesus Christ, starting there in verse 6. He, he is explaining to Timothy how to be a good, how to be a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. We, we should all want to be a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. And he says, Instruct the brethren in these things, and you will be a good minister or a good servant of Jesus Christ. So, what is he to do? You're to nourish in the words of faith and of good doctrine which you have carefully followed. So everything that is follows is going to deal with the, the truth of the word good doctrine, the, the things that Timothy has been taught. Be, be continually nourished up in this. Be feeding on this continuously and make sure that you're telling others to be, to be nourished like this and do it very, very carefully. Reject some things. The Bible is full of contrasts, put on, put off. And here, here he's, he's warning him, there's some things to reject. Reject profane and old wives' tales. In other words, re, let me just put that in there for today. Reject everything that's not biblical. Screen everything through the biblical grid. There's all kinds of tales and there's all kinds of myths and there's all kinds of traditions and they may or they may not be good but you need to shun those things as being the basis for how you conduct your life, and you conduct your life based on the objective word of God. You can't base your life on it if you don't know it. And so you must know it. And so that's what he's telling Timothy here. And look what he says how you get there. He says, exercise yourself towards godliness. That word exercise has the idea of agonize. It's like gym. It's like struggle. It's like wrestle. 
it's an athletic kind of a word. You're going to have to discipline yourself. You're going to, it's going to be an agony, but you need to you need to exercise or discipline yourself towards godliness. He's going to explain that a little bit more in verse eight. For bodily exercise profiteth little in that culture, not unlike our own. The the concern about the health of the body was big, and they did all kinds of races and all kinds of athletic competitions, and, and, and that was how you had your standing many places in life. And so he's comparing that, and he's saying, in the same way that you might exercise your body, you're going to need to exercise the same way, but keep in mind, all the exercise you would ever put into your body does you, by comparison to spiritual exercise, just a little bit of good. Just a little bit of good. This would be shocking news to that generation. Shocking news. You mean to tell me that there's a discipline that's more important than push-ups and running and jumping? Yes, there is a discipline far more important than that. Because comparatively speaking, that is only going to give you this little bit of help. But what I'm telling you here is good for eternity. And that's exactly what he says next. Look, for bodily exercise profiteth little... But godliness, the exercise to godliness, okay, godliness profiteth for all things, having this promise of life that is now. When you exercise, put discipline into your life towards godliness, you reap blessing right now, but not just now. Look what else it says, and for that which is to come. And, and so we, we gain as we discipline ourselves now, but then in the future we, we gain as well. And so this idea of spiritual discipline, you see in there it's a, it's a training, it's a sweaty word I put. If we would, went, I won't do it because of time, if we went to 1 Corinthians 9, 4... 9, 24 through 27, it's the, same, it's the same kind of passage. It's almost a parallel passage. And there he talks about how he beats his body into submission. And Paul says the reason, matter of fact, it's too important. You, you need to see it. You need to see it. Look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. I told you it didn't matter how fast we went in here. I'm looking at the clock worrying about how fast we're going to go. So I just had to discipline myself and say, no, this is too important. Look at this. Same idea. At least, again, non-inspired words, but they help us to get the context. My Bible says striving for the crown. Uh, you know, Paul wants that crown. He wants the winner's crown for the glory of Christ. He's going to give it to Christ. He's, he, he wants to strive. He wants to be as sanctified as possible when God calls him home. It's that same pursuit we just talked about. And look what it says in 924. Do you not know that those who run a race all run, but one receives a prize? He's giving you an analogy. We should be... We should be striving for that prize of the high calling that he says in, in Philippians, that high calling of God in Christ Jesus, being Christ-like. That's the prize, being like Christ. That is the prize. Christ is the prize. Christ is everything. Christ is my life. That's why God says, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. 
And so that's what Paul's talking about here. And he says, run in such a way that you might obtain it. You can't obtain Christ's likeness if you don't run in a certain way. So run in the way that you'll obtain it. Look what he says. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. He's disciplined in all things. He disciplines himself. He's controlled in all things. He, he isn't out of control. If you're going to be an athlete and you're going to run a marathon, yeah, you don't take and go down to McDonald's just before you're going to take off running a marathon and order a Big Mac and a large fries because you ain't going to get through that marathon. You, you compete in a certain way and, and you're careful about you're temperate about what you about what you take in. You're temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. Here's where he's doing the comparison. People people go to great lengths to win Olympic gold medals. The discipline they have to do to to be a major league whatever or an Olympic athlete is unbelievable. And, and he's saying, and they do all of that for something that's going to perish. And every believer has the opportunity to give that same kind of effort towards something that is imperishable. Isn't that a motivation? It's imperishable. Uh, no effort is ever going to be lost to God that we were, we were trying to. It'll, it'll all come back to you uh, in, in blessing. And that's what he's saying. So he says that this motivates me. They do it for... An, a perishable crown, but we do it for imperishable crown. We do it for something that's never going to be tarnished. It's never going to go away. So he says, therefore, it motivates me. I run thus, not with uncertainty. In other words, he knows God's going to take him home. I mean, the fact of the matter, he knows he's going to win the race. Philippians 1.6, right? He that began a good work in me will complete it. Praise the Lord. He's going to complete the work but that doesn't mean I don't work out my salvation with fear and trembling. That, 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 they, they go together. And he says, but, but I know I'm going to win. I, I run with certainty because God runs with me. God runs in me. So thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but look at verse 27. But I discipline my body. See, Paul knows his body is the enemy because his body is flesh. Listen to me. I have been saved longer than most of you have been alive. I have been saved longer than most of you have been alive. And my flesh is not one ounce better today than it was the day I got saved. It's just as stinking rotten today. You can't sanctify the flesh. That's why it groans just like this earth does, looking for redemption. And praise the Lord, that day is coming. But I have to beat my flesh or my flesh will win. That's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, but I discipline my body and I bring it under subjection. Lisa, that's the desires. I bring my body under the subjection of the word, of the spirit. I don't do what my body wants. I do what God's commanded. Least after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. I almost tremble when I preach this every time. Because I got an X in my back. Because I got the devil who wants to take me down. And, and I got the flesh that's going to want to say, go to sleep. Don't do all the things that you're telling them to do so that you'll be a castaway. And I don't want to be a castaway this moment. But my flesh is like everybody else's flesh. There's other moments when I don't care. 
And so I have to beat my body. I tell men this, paint yourself into a corner so that your worst moment, when you're the most tempted, you couldn't fail if you wanted to because there's so much accountability. Paint yourself in that corner. Spend your life painted into a corner that even when you don't want to do right, you know you'll get caught. Do you know the greatest grace that there could possibly be here on earth is knowing that you'll get caught? Knowing you'll get caught? Can I hear an amen? amen? I mean, every time we're tempted to sin, the first thing we think of is, will I get caught? We don't think about it. It doesn't matter whether I get caught or not. God's already caught me. He knows. We don't think that. We think, will I get caught? Will my mom find out? Will my dad find out? Will my husband find out? Will my wife find out? Will the boss find out? Am I right? Am I right? That's it. And if I don't beat my flesh, if I'm not totally accountable, that flesh wants to break out and do what it wants to do. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. And he says, because of that, I have to have discipline. And I have to do it over and over again. And I can't say, I'm almost 72. I've earned my stripes. I'm a five-star general been there, done that. The second I do that, I'm a dead man. I'm gone. I'm down the toilet. Because I need God's grace today as much as I did it the first day I was saved. And the same is going to be true for all of you. Now that finishes the introduction. (laughs) So now we're going to look at Bible intake. Obviously we won't get all the way through Bible intake today. A lot of this that I'm going to look at right now, just an overview, and then from the overview, which probably we aren't going to get any further, we'll move in from the overview into just sort of practically trying to lay out how would I, how do I have my personal devotion times or my time alone with the Lord or whatever. How how would you do it? I'm going to be looking for some feedback in here, but we want to help each other build that that discipline because taking the Bible in is absolutely essential for the believer. And there's so many different ways that we look at it, taking it in. So I've, I've just put down a whole bunch of them here for us to think about. We need to hear God's word, obviously. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now I'm taking here, hearing means receiving it, okay? I'm using the audible sense of it here, that we need to hear God's word. So there's the this, the sense of the of the public nature of the preaching like you are right now. Um, arranging yourself so you're consistent uh, in church. That you're, you're ordering your life around church. We got Truth and Life Conference coming up. The elders of this church have planned this for a year and are bringing in one of the most powerful speakers you'll ever hear and we're doing it for your sanctification and for your good. I'm doing that because even though I don't know you, I love you. And so does Brian Farrell and so does Jeff Abbott. And I'm doing that because you need it. No exceptions. There's not a single person in here that doesn't need it desperately, including the one that's speaking. And, and, and you should order your life in the local church under the elders such that when the doors are open, unless I'm providentially hindered, I'm here because I want to hear God's truth because God does work in that context that can't be done anyplace else. It's an amazing thing. Let's go back to how many people are here. Seven and a half billion people on the face of the earth. Talk to Michael 
or Maymay, what China would give to be able to freely go down and worship like we're worshiping here. Not have to do house churches, not have to hide someplace, not have to wonder whether their pastor is going to be dragged into jail, shot, killed, whatever. I don't know how far away we are from being like that. If you can't see we're on the slippery slope down, then your eyes have been closed. Ask God to open them. And while you have the time here, while the freedoms are here, while the opportunities are here, take advantage of every single one of them. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. When the doors are open, you're being fed. You're being offered a banquet. Come and dine. Come and dine. To do otherwise is foolish. So we need to hear the word of God, corporate worship, preaching, your Sunday school, your small groups, Bible studies, uh, all the different ways. I got down here DVDs. I've taught this course for so many years, I have to keep trying to update it. I, I, you, half of you don't even know what a DVD is anymore. When I first did this co- course, it didn't have DVD, it had 8-track tape. You know, so... <laughs> the internet downloads TV. Obviously, with all of that, one of the beauties of the local church is you know what you're getting. As soon as you move to the internet, you, you have to have a level of discernment. So I would just say, be very careful a lot of junk out there I shepherd a a group of people called the Abundant Life class and since March of last year my repeated message they'd all be able to tell you has been this turn off the TV turn off the TV turn off the TV turn off the TV our people are full of fear they're full of fear because that's exactly what the news media and, and the news media is just an arm of evil in high places Okay, but it's 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 to create fear to go to any of the major stations and turn on the first 45 seconds, and it's ramped up. Even the background music is ramped up so that so that as they go to the first break, you're already sitting on the end, chewing your fingernails, wondering how we're going to survive the tsunami, how we're going to survive the pandemic, how we're going to survive the virus, how we're going to survive, how we're going to survive. And by the time you get through one minute of the nightly news, you have forgot God is sovereign and in control of every molecule on the face of the earth. We completely forget it. And somehow we think I'm in control of my own life. But that's what happened. I I, I let that stuff influence me. And so, we've got to hear God's word, not man's word. We've got to read God's word. So we need to discipline ourselves to a a daily time of the word. And we're going to talk about that in, in great measure. What kind of Bible reading plans? How much time? Study God's Word. The, the discipline of rightly dividing God's Word. We're going to spend a little bit of time on, uh, on understanding that. Let me say, I'm not pro this. this. This Word is infallible. This Word is wonderful. But this isn't the best way to do your devotions. See, where will I... Okay, let's see. The grasshopper is burdened and the desires fail. For man goes to his eternal home and mourns about it the streets. Amen. Okay, I did my devotions. There are Christians all over that I talk to that that's about how they approach their devotions. What in the world did that mean? And how did I select that particular verse? We're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, Memorizing God's Word. In your packet, I put in the back a... um, 
um, an article by John Piper on memorizing God's word that's worth your time to read it. We won't read it here in the class, but it's there for you. Uh, I would encourage you, but we're going to look at the importance of memorization so that we can, if you turn the page next, we can meditate upon God's word. Meditate on God's word. Just before we wrap up, somebody look at Joshua 1, 8, 9. Read that for me. And somebody else read Psalm 1, 2, and 3. Who would read Joshua for me? Do I not have anybody who would read Joshua for me? Joshua 1, 8, and 9? Thank you. Yes. Go right ahead. Do you have it? Brittany. I'm sorry. It was coming. I heard it. It just, it just took me a while to get here. Brittany? It's 1, 8, and 9. Yes. Amen. Meditate on day and night. And when I meditate for the purpose of obedience, God promises me. Matter of fact, here's a little bit of trivia for you. I'm going way back now, but the King James. Uh, it's probably true in the New King James, but the King James anyway. The word success. By the way, that's another whole topic, but success isn't what the world tells you success is. But the word success is God defines it. That's success. That word success is only used one place in the King James Version. And it's right there in Joshua 1, 8, 9. To meditate day and night for a purpose, to be obedient. And if you'll do that, God will give you good success. You don't get the good success. God gives it to you. Who's got, who read Psalm 1, 2, and 3? Russ? Psalm 1, 2, and 3. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaves do not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. So when I delight in God and I delight in his word and I meditate on it day and night, I can be a tree in the middle of the desert. The heat of the desert will come. The, the storms of life comes. The famine of life comes. But when I am planted next to living water and my roots go down into living water, come what may, I will stand because I'm, I'm standing on the word. And whatever I do will prosper. I will have good success. That doesn't mean I'll be rich. That doesn't mean I get to fly around in jet planes. That means I'll be like Christ. I'll be, a, I'll be honored and bring honor and glory to Him. That's good success. I'll be faithful. I'll be counted faithful. When I get home, I'll hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. The greatest reward a man could ever, or a woman could ever hear. And so, we need to learn to meditate and then to learn to share what you've learned and so that's what we're going to do next week we're going to look at the practical disciplines um, of Bible intake how do I do that I'd like you to consider how you do that we'll talk that through you can read this if you want and then we'll, we'll take that and we'll look at how that impacts how we think okay
Um, it's exactly 10 after. That means we've got five minutes. Questions, comments, insights. How many of you have some kind of what you would call a personal devotion time? Is that, is that something that most of you do? All right, good, great. Praise the Lord. Then, then we'll want some input. What does that look like? We're all different. The, the things we're going to look at next are not prescriptive. In other words, what's prescriptive is what I just told you. Meditating, memorizing, hearing it. That's prescriptive. prescriptive commanded. <laughs> uh, God commands us to do that. But how we do that... Uh, you know we have great freedom in that, so we can gain we can gain from each other. I'm simply going to share with you how, through the years, I have learned to do that, how it's helped me. But I'd like to hear how how you're doing it. Uh, I'll s- say, as long as I've got the extra minute, that um, I think when I was first saved, without any question, even though I didn't know what the daily bread is, how many people know what the daily bread is? Are you familiar with the daily bread? This is not being critical of the daily bread, but I think I would have called myself a daily bread Christian. What do you think I mean by that? I took a, opened up the Daily Bread. It's a little booklet about this big. It has a verse at the top. I'd read the verse. It's got a great illustration, a little story, a great little illustrated story. And um, it probably would take, if, if you read the suggested scripture, it would probably take you 10 minutes to do. And, and I do that every day. I didn't know any better. It would be a great encouragement to me. And, um, and I spent five years at least being blown by every wind in doctrine. I, I, I was a mile wide and an inch deep. Um, and part of that is because of time. You, you can't know God by getting him five or ten minutes a day. I mean, I don't know how to say that. So think about that this week. Because that's one of the things that you're going to have to think about in this discipline. You give him 480 hours a week, how much of that are you going to dedicate to knowing God. How much are you going to dedicate that to knowing God and on a daily basis? He's infinite and glorious in all of his attributes. He's worthy of our praise and our worship and our study. And and, and the more we feed on him, the more we want to. But the less we do, the less we want to. And so it's a discipline that that grows and and it helps us. But you can't learn much of this book in five or ten minutes a day. And you certainly can't learn much of this book sitting under one message a week. And so we'll, we'll be looking at that and then trying to unfold how could we have a productive time with the Lord. Move that to thinking right, and then from there, talking about that thing that we all know we need to grow in, and that's our prayer life. So that's what's ahead of us. God bless you. You've been a great group. If I can answer any questions privately, I'll be up here for a few minutes. You are dismissed. God bless you. Have a good week.